know that he is that, especially today. But what does it matter for us? We want to be connected to this. We have to be connected to this. But what does it mean for Jesus not to be just this neutral resurrection in life, but our resurrection and our life today? And we're going to answer that question by looking at how Jesus came to a specific family as the resurrection and the life. He comes to two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus as the resurrection and as the life. And as he comes to them, he allows for death to enter into the story. And he calls them to greater faith. And he calls them, he actually enters into their very grief, and then he brings them life. We're going to see that that's actually a story of the cross. That is the story of Easter. He enters into death, into our faith, into our grief, so that he might become our life. So let's turn to John 11. Now, this is a long passage, so uh, it would be helpful if you'd grab one of those Bibles in front of you. It's on page 897, if you're looking at those, 897. This is John 11. Verses 1 through 44. John 11, verses 1 through 44. Read this with me. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you there. Are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go away that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw her rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come to us and you would open our hearts to the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Teach us. Give us hearts that are full of this message. We pray in Christ's name. So we begin by looking at how Jesus as the resurrection and the life allows for the death of Lazarus. He allows for his friend to die. We see this in verse 11. Now, sorry, in chapter 11. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus, Bethany, village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the feet of Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So his sister said to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So when he heard this, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus knew this family. He had met Martha. She had offered to bring him into his house. And there he had eaten with them. He had taught them. He had rebuked them at their own table. And they could confidently say that Lazarus was he whom you loved. And so when they sent for word to Jesus, I'm sure that they 
They had an expectation. They knew him as the son of God. They believed in him. Surely he could heal their brother. And so we can imagine their sorrow and their confusion when Jesus did not come. As they sat next to Lazarus, as he got worse and worse, as they looked to the door, hoping to see Jesus there, their last hope. And then Lazarus breathed his last, and they were left to mourn. And we can imagine that as they mourned, they had in the back of their mind that doubt, why had Jesus not come? And we know that in the disciples' mind, we can imagine them thinking, well, Jesus had gotten this one wrong. This illness led to death after all. And so we ask, why did Jesus delay? Verse 5. This is odd explanation. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus stayed because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That is why he stayed. And he did it intentionally. He stayed, and as a result, Lazarus was not healed, and Lazarus died, and Mary and Martha were left to mourn. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are now just seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? But he answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, what does that mean? Okay, Jesus. Jesus, he talks like this sometimes. You just have to be patient with him. All right, what does he mean? Uh, essentially, what he's saying is that uh, the daytime is life and nighttime is death. And that during this time, it's still daytime. The Jews aren't going to kill him. And because it's daytime, he has work to do. And part of that work is to make sure that he ministers to his people, that he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now, the odd thing about this is that it proves that Jesus sovereignly knows things. He knows the hour of his own death, when it is and when it isn't. And we can suppose that he also knew the hour of Lazarus' death. He later says it, and there's no information that says that he got received word from Mary and Martha. He knew when he was going to die. Jesus really did let this happen. There's really no way around that. It wasn't that, it wasn't that he like wimped out and was like, well, I don't, I don't really want to go to Jerusalem. It's dangerous there. No, he knows that he's not going to die there. It wasn't out of fear. It was out of intentionality. He intentionally did not go. So verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he was taking rest and sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. All right, are we clear what Jesus is saying here? 
Jesus is basically saying that I, he let Lazarus die for a few reasons. Because he loved these people. He let him die so that his disciples would believe and so that he himself would be glorified. Now, that is where following Jesus is difficult. Jesus has very different priorities than we do for our lives. Right? We might prioritize our happiness, our wants, at best our needs, our perceived needs. But Jesus prioritizes two things, his own glory and that we may believe in him. And we don't like that. So we become like Mary and Martha, right? We might have that lingering doubt in the back of our mind. What if Jesus doesn't really care about us as much as we think he is? Maybe we don't know him. Or maybe like the disciples, we kind of drudge through life following Jesus with kind of a martyr mentality. Well, let's also go that we may die with him. We're not joyful. We just do it obediently, knowing that it's going to be a rough road. But most of us, we just don't follow. We stop obeying his commandments. We stop seeking him. We stop honoring him. Because he's just leading us towards death. But Jesus knows that real love entails teaching us about suffering and even death. Because that is, that is the reality of this world, and we need to trust him in them. In fact, he actually uses these circumstances, these terrible things, so that we may believe in him. And so that we may see his glory. So that we would understand his love. In doing all this, he's, just, he's not just kind of sheltering us from suffering or from death. Instead, he's actually preparing us for it, giving us an ability and a power to move into death and suffering with life nonetheless. And so we see that the most loving thing that he can do is to teach us that there is death and that we do not have life within ourselves. We do not have life within ourselves physically. We all know that. In the back of our minds, we all know that we will die. And the, the crazy reality is that if we look around ourselves, we look at everyone here, we will all die. We do not have life within ourselves. Perhaps even more, we do not have spiritual life in ourselves either. The things that we do, the sins that we commit, the ways that we choose evil over the things of God, we even choose, you've put it even more simply, we choose to do things that we condemn in others. We do those ourselves. Those things are choosing death. And spiritually, we deserve judgment and misery as a result of choosing those things. We are spiritually dead. And so Jesus is willing to show us that about ourselves. Because otherwise, we have no hope. We are dead without him. And while that is a painful truth, that is a truth that he shows us as the, light of, as the life and the resurrection. He doesn't shelter us. Instead, he teaches us that we need salvation. We need more than just better circumstances. We need new life out of death. And so Jesus, as hard as it may be, he lets us taste death. 
that we may come to him as the resurrection and the life. And that brings us to our second point. Jesus allows death, but he also, as the resurrection and the life, he calls us to greater faith. Look at me at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb of four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Mary stayed at the house, and Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now what kind of person is Martha? Martha is your down-to-earth, just-get-it-done kind of woman. Right? She's not overly touchy-feely or emotional like her sister Mary. She does what she needs to do. And she's logical. She's a thinker and a doer. And so she comes to Jesus, and this is pretty much her, her understanding of the situation. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's also a woman of faith, a woman of understanding, and she really believes that Jesus can heal, that he can mend, that he can do great things. But there's this lingering doubt in her mind as well, that death is death. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So yes, yes, there could be life after death, but she'd been taught about that, and it came at the last day. It came far in the future. That was her understanding, and Jesus comes to challenge that understanding. That's what Jesus does for for us logical types. He challenges us. Not that we would cast out thinking, but that we would actually understand more and understand more deeply. Because we who know... We sometimes need to learn more. And Jesus comes to teach her and challenge her understanding. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, why would she have said it that way? The Son of God who is coming into the world. It seems that she actually still has a future perspective. She's looking and saying, yeah, no, okay, you're, maybe you're here now, but when you come again, then you'll bring life. She's kind of focused in on this future promise, the future heaven, the future eternal life, that that is when real life happens. And Jesus challenges her, saying, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection and life, that isn't a a day in the future. That is a person. And that person is me, and I'm standing right here in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. He can bring life here and now. That's what he's doing. And honestly, we need to learn this same lesson with Martha. We need to learn that Belief in Jesus isn't about getting to some place or life in the future, that there's life to be had here and now. 
right now, right here. So when he offers us himself, he offers us his very person. So that belief in him is not belief in kind of the future, but it's belief that he will unite himself to us, that we will be with him and he will be with us. And where Jesus is, there is life. That happens right now and right here. And he longs to lead us into places of life, places of freedom and confidence and peace, and away from places of death, places of fear and anxiety and sin and darkness. That's especially, I think, what the disciples seem to be missing. Right? They think that following Jesus in the present means death for them. Yeah, that's right. No. <laughs> what it really means is that life in the that following Jesus in the present means life. And they're missing that. He calls them to this faith that they might have renewed life here and now. And that's the point of the physical resurrection of Lazarus. When he raises Lazarus from the dead physically here and now, it's a sign that he can raise us spiritually here and now. That's the point. It's not that we just look far off into the future. It's that we receive Jesus as our life here and now, at this moment. So he calls Martha to a deeper and more profound faith to understand more fully. And he does that for us as well. He calls us to have that faith. Do you see what I'm saying here? We forget that there are blessings here and now that come with this spiritual life. We actually are new creations. We are new people. And we are to live in light of that. It's not just about getting to some place. It's about being with Jesus and finding life here and now. That is the blessing of this resurrected Jesus, that he is alive and he is with us. All right. So he comes to us by challenging us and trying to give us a greater faith. But he does more than that. He also enters into our grief. Specifically with Mary, he comes with this compassionate and loving grief. Look at verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. All right, so Mary is a very different woman than Martha is. Mary is the tender-hearted, emotional, more up-and-down kind of woman. And she doesn't come to Jesus primarily with questions or with statements, with expressions of faith. She comes to Jesus with raw emotion. When she hears that Jesus is there, she gets up and she runs to him. And she casts herself at his feet. And clinging to him, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice, it is actually the same exact words that Martha said. 
But it's a very different statement. She comes in very differently. And Jesus appropriately reacts very differently. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus doesn't come to his people with this, just kind of like this stoic, heartless teacher. I've come to teach you a lesson about faith that you would no longer doubt, that you would believe. No, he isn't like that. Because he knows that true resurrection life comes not just in thinking, but in emotion as well. In compassion and in love. And so when he sees Mary weeping and his people weeping, he is deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled, and Jesus wept. Do we see what this really means? This is the God of the universe weeping over a single creature, a single person. God had surely seen millions of deaths before Lazarus, and he would see millions afterwards. And in this case, he would actually know that Lazarus would be alive in 10 minutes, and yet he wept. So why did he cry? These are tears of anger. He is angry at sin and death and the suffering that they cause. And these are uh, tears of sorrow. He is heartbroken at seeing Mary and Martha in this state. And these are tears of love. Love for his friend and brother Lazarus. Verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved. All too often, we as Christians, we think that we need to have everything together, that we need to be these joyful people. And we can try to create that by being emotionally dishonest, happy people who plaster on our smiles. The truth is that that is not what Christ is. And he doesn't call us to that as well. He is truly angry at sin and suffering and he mourns over what it has done to us. So the question is, do you think that Jesus really cares? And do you feel permission to mourn and to cry with him? Because even though he allowed Lazarus to die, and he used that death towards his glory and towards the belief of his disciples, nonetheless, he wept. He uses these processes, but he doesn't enjoy it. He isn't apathetic. He isn't careless towards your loss or towards your suffering. Even the loss and the suffering that brings you to him, that is where our God is unique. We have a God who weeps. And when you are suffering and when you are weeping, we have a guarantee that God is weeping more deeply than you are. He is crying more because he cares about you. Even when we're crying about the wrong things, 
He longs to see us restored. He longs to comfort us. And he hates to see us in that state. And that's where, yes, God is sovereign. And he is all-powerful. And he is all-knowing. But that doesn't mean he's cold. He's not cold. We think that those two things can't go together, to know everything. Surely he'd have to be kind of apathetic about the whole process. But no, he weeps. His love is genuine. And he really does experience Mary's grief, and the people's grief, and our grief as well. So then, as the resurrection and the life, he isn't this kind of cold, stoic, calculated life. He's this full-bodied, warm-blooded, impassioned life. And that is the life he is. That is the life that we receive. And the last point. Finally, Jesus actually brings real resurrection life. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus moved, deeply moved again. Notice he's, he's still emotional and impassioned. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Now, we still have logical Martha with us. That single rebuke didn't didn't change everything. She still has some stuff to learn. He has to tell her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? She still doesn't have it all together. That's okay. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Now, if this is true, then this changes the whole story. Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. He really is uh, honest. That when he said this illness would not lead to death, he was telling the truth. He was actually loving this family by letting Lazarus die. That they may know Jesus as their life. And he brought himself glory. People came to believe. And he's worthy of being trusted. Even when we don't understand, we don't see what he is doing. Now the text presents this as a real resurrection. It is a real resurrection. People come from far and wide to meet Lazarus, the man who was raised from the dead. So many people, in fact, that when the Pharisees, the religious leaders who hated Jesus, when they decide to kill Jesus, they throw Lazarus in there too. We need to kill Lazarus because that's not helping our case any. People are coming to faith in Jesus through this testimony. He needs to die as well. So Jesus, by raising the physically dead, proves that those who are spiritual dead can be raised as well. He unbinds the grave clothes just as he unbinds us from our sin and our death that entangles us. But this story is not complete and this story is not enough. 
Because in this story, Jesus still stands far off from us. He's kind of the God who's saying, now I, I see your suffering, I see your sorrows, and I, he speaks into them. He's kind and compassionate, but he is removed as a spectator into our suffering, into our struggles. And that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't just speak to us in our struggles. He takes on our struggles as his own. First of all, he allows himself to experience death. He doesn't just call us by our suffering or our death, the death of those around us. He calls us by his own death and his own suffering on the cross, his death for our sin, our rebellion, and our hatred of God. So like Lazarus, he dies. And like Lazarus, no one comes to his rescue. He calls out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no answer. He is left on his own to die. The very life, the resurrection and the life, died. Secondly, in his death, he had to have his own faith. He calls us to faith, yes, but he had his own faith that he would actually not die for sins and, and be abandoned there. He had to trust his father to raise him from the dead. So that when we believe in him, he actually becomes our faith. We don't try to muster up faith. We receive his. He had the perfect faith that his father would not abandon him. He had that faith for us. And he also entered into a grief that was his own. It wasn't just ours. The Garden of Gethsemane, he was weeping his own tears. Drops of blood were coming out of his own sweat. He was grieved over the fact that he would have to bear our shame and our guilt in our sin. So that's God of all comfort is well acquainted with our sorrows. And in this ultimate act of death and faith and grief, Jesus Christ died for our sins, the death we should have died. But then on this third day, this Easter day, he rose again from the dead. That tomb was showed to be empty. It was rolled away, and there were his linens and his face cloth lying on the grave. And as Lazarus did, he presented himself to his people. That death had been defeated, that sin was no more, and that he had earned life. So this resurrection day... This Easter, he became for us the true resurrection and the life. He, so then we who believe in him here and now, we are now connected to a living Jesus Christ. And we give everything that our life has earned to Jesus. We give him our death and our sin and our suffering and our grief. And we get back everything that Jesus did. We get back his perfect death for sin. We get back his perfect faith. We get back his perfect obedience in the midst of real grief. 
We do not have to muster these things up on our own. We are not abandoned. Jesus actually becomes our Lazarus. His life becomes our life. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And this all takes place here and now spiritually. So that we are adopted sons. We are living with him in the throne room. Seated at his right hand. We are new creations. New beings. We are adopted into the family of God. And we are alive. And just as Martha had said, she was not wrong. All of these things that are true here and now, spiritually, are now true, of, or will be true of us in the future. We will have new resurrected bodies. We'll be with him in glory. And we'll never grieve again. We'll never die again. In fact, we'll never have to have faith again. Because the things that we believe, we will know. The things that we hope for will be a reality. And our faith will be sight. That is what Jesus guaranteed by his resurrection. And so, we thank God for Jesus Christ. He really does long to be our life out of death, our comfort in grief, our source of true faith. This Easter day, let us receive him as our resurrection and our life. He is alive. Believe in him that you may be alive as well. Let's pray.